There we go. Yeah, all right. Well, Merry Christmas. Y'all are um, just struck again by how much this place has become family, how much you've become family to me, looking around and seeing people like Brent and Janice and Justin and Kel and Glenda, Jim and Fran, so many of you that have made me just feel so welcome here. It's uh, today's special in so many ways. Um, I want to get right to the task at hand here in just a moment. Um, had a novel idea for this morning. I was thinking, instead of preaching from that gorgeous gospel text, I thought maybe I'd preach from the Old Testament reading from the prophets. What do you say? Just to vary things up, you know? For those of you that are new or visiting, I've said that about 30 times in the last year, I think. But our reading this morning comes from uh, Isaiah. The latter part of this is uh, a Christmas text that we know and love, but so much of this that really I've never, that I had not considered this way before. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, this verse is fascinating to me. Pay pay attention to verse 5. I want to go back here in a few moments. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you. Faithfully, once again, you've showed up at our doorstep. Some of us who've been anticipating and longing and looking. Others who, quite frankly, haven't had the time or the energy or the bandwidth to look or to search. We've just been caught up in the noise, and yet you come anyway. Even to those who aren't looking, you come as a surprise. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the ways that you keep on appearing. I pray this morning for my friends who are here who woke up today, and instead of feeling their longings fulfilled, may feel like some of their longings are only intensified. People for whom this holiday is hard for so many reasons. Pray for your comfort and for your strength. But I also pray for the great surprise of Christmas, which is so often that you actually are fulfilling our deepest longings. You're just doing it in ways that we weren't expecting. (laughs) 
in ways that we did not calculate for. So I pray for that kind of surprise. And pray, um, above all else, King Jesus, that you would be enthroned in our hearts now. You would speak to us now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let me riff here just a little bit. Um, thinking today about the way that on the Christian calendar, time in one sense is really important. Special seasons like Advent culminating in a day like day. It's, time is important in that way. And yet there's another way in which time is really unimportant, uh, incredibly nonlinear and almost irrelevant. One of the things that's beautiful about um, Christianity, one of the things that's beautiful about Christian worship, and I'm not trying to just go super science fiction on you here, but that truly we're, we're moving back and forth in time. Um, that's one of the things I love most about the table. We come to the table, and in one way, we're going all the way back to the Passover. We're reenacting. We're remembering. We're going back to that place. We're going back to the final supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And yet, when we come around the table, we're also going into the future to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're also getting a taste from that table. It's, it's, it's all the same. We're moving backwards and forwards. And even in our worship this morning, where time kind of stands still, and I really believe what I'm saying, time standing still, we're, we're, we're just all over the continuum. And I, if I were to kind of sum up what I feel like um, Advent is all about, but in a really way, the, the, whole, the whole message of the Christian story, the heart of the gospel is simply this. Christ is coming. And no matter what direction, no matter when you are or where you are, Christ is always coming. He came the first time. We believe that. We celebrate that. We remember that. We believe that he's coming now. He's being born anew in us now. We believe that he's coming again. So no matter what angle you're coming from, Christ is always coming. Christ is always coming. And so there's this weird thing that's happening because in one way, we're always waiting and another way, he's always arriving. <laughs> I'm just saying all kinds of stuff. I, I'm like, I, I have no idea what that is right now, but I, I feel good about it. In one way, we're always waiting. Another way, he's always arriving. But simultaneously, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're longing. He keeps showing up. We keep longing in different ways. So he keeps showing up in all kinds of ways. Man, it's so, all of that is so beautiful to me. But this particular text from the prophet, which I've never quite looked at in this spirit, I loved all that stuff about Jesus coming as wonderful counselor and unto us a child being born. Like, all that's so great. But yet, as it is often the case in the Old Testament prophets, even language about the Messiah coming is kind of baptized in this apocalyptic kind of imagery and language. Can we go back to verse 5 there, Casey? Um, because maybe I'm not just trying to be weird. <laughs> Today's Christmas verse Isaiah 9.5, <laughs> for all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, what person reads the text that we did today and decides, I want to preach on that one, right? But I love, I love this so much. And, and note, this is right before it talks about Christ being born and coming and being revealed as wonderful, mighty God, all those things. The boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. This is not the kind of Christmas fire that we typically think about this kind. We think about other fires, the one kind of in the hearth. But there's this image that when Christ comes, when his reign comes, his reign, which it says, which will be a reign of endless peace, 
Um, it has a beginning, but it does not have an end. Endless peace that's coming. And when this reign of God comes, when the rule of God comes, it says that all of the boots of the oppressor that have been stomping on us, the boots that have been kicking us, the garments that have been soaked in blood, all of the, the instruments of war, the very things that have been used against us, the instruments of terror, they're not abolished. God doesn't do away with them in this new reign of the king that's coming. But instead what it says is that he uses those things as fuel for the fire. I'm fascinated by this. He doesn't need it to start a fire. A Boy Scout can start a fire with a couple of sticks. But this fire of God, this purging, all-consuming fire that comes when the king comes, is a fire in which even the instruments of terror and harm, the things that would be used to destroy us, still have a place. They're used in a different way. They become fuel for God's fire. One other text from the prophet Isaiah that I really love anticipates the day that's coming, verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I love that so much. But this image in, in particular they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. When the prince of peace comes, he doesn't get rid of the swords. He doesn't get rid of the pruning hooks. He transforms them. He transforms the very instrumentality of war into instruments of peace. He transforms the things that were used against us to harm us so that now they can be used to bless us and to bless the world. Long way around, right? And I know this sounds super random. This is all I'm trying to say. I'm not going to preach a long time on Christmas Day. I know you have, you have many other things to do. This is all, I'm, this is all I want to say simply is this. What if this Christmas, as the reign of Jesus is always accompanied by this fire of God, if the fire of God is coming in such a way, not to abolish all of the things that have terrorized you, not to take out everything that's uncomfortable that makes you afraid, but to transform even those things. What if that's how comprehensive it is when the king comes, is that nothing gets wasted. Everything is useful. It just gets radically repurposed. Radically repurposed. Is it too charismatic for me to say the very things that the enemy intended for harm, God turns it around and uses for good. Is it all right for me to say that? And isn't that crazy? The things that you feel like are going to kill you. And God takes the things that you thought that were going to take you out, and he uses them to save you. <laughs> the very things that most devastate you, somehow, even in that, somehow, are the seeds of our redemption. What if the very thing that's causing you pain and angst right now in this moment, not somehow despite it around it, but maybe right in the midst of that, are the seeds of God's redemption and restoration? These are the very things he will use. And the other thing I feel like I really need to say is this, just a couple more minutes, really. 
um, this fire of God that comes, I realize even talking about that, you know, so if the, even if the, um, the blood-soaked garments and these instruments of death and violence are burned in the fuel of God's fire, which clearly seems kind of constructive, right? We're not used to thinking about fire in a, in a positive way. I mean, generally when I read about fire in the Bible, my instinct is I want to stay far, far away from that. But one of the things that's, um, that's changed for me in recent years, and I'm still grappling with this in different places, is that I thought that the only role that fire has in the things of God is for torment. That fire is only for the sake of um, torture in some form. But the more I get familiar with the various ways throughout Scripture the language and imagery of fire is used, I don't think that fire, even fire of judgment, is always about torture or torment. In fact, I'll go so far as to say I think it rarely is. I don't think the fire of God is about torture and torment at all. I think the fire of God is about transformation. There are some things that cannot be repurposed, some things that cannot be changed, that cannot cannot be made right. You can't turn the swords into plowshares. You can't transform the weapons of war into instruments of peace without fire. The temperature has to be turned up in an extreme way. Because in order for these things that otherwise would harm us to be somehow used for our good, it's going to take the purifying heat, the fire of God's love, to transform them into something else. No other way to do it without fire. There is nothing good that ever comes out of us. There's nothing good that comes into our lives that doesn't come through the purifying fire of God. Everybody has to go through it. Everybody has to go through the fire. I remember several years ago, and I want to share a, a, a quote with you. I got on a kick where I was reading an Eastern Orthodox uh, theologian that's really provocative to me named Sergius Bulkogov. He's been dead for years. <laughs> Another thing I thought would just be a sweet Christmas, you know. It's like fire and Sergius Bulkogov. Uh, have, have yourself a Bulkogov Christmas. <laughs> Bulkogov Christmas special. I just like saying Bulkogov. I come up with ways to say it for no good reason. But I remember I was reading a book of Bulkagov's that was about the church called The Bride of the Lamb, and I thought it was the most beautiful book on the church I'd ever read. I was so moved by it, got a lot. And uh, at that point, I was fairly new to Eastern Orthodox tradition, so I didn't know a lot about that whole sphere. But I got to this particular paragraph that just arrested me, and I've never, I've never forgot this. He's commenting on that verse in 2 Peter that talks about the fire of God that will come uh, to essentially to, to kind of to consume all things. And can we go to that, this uh, book of, he writes, this fire in which the present heavens and earth will be consumed on the day of judgment via 2 Peter 3, 7, when the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, signifies the passage of the world through the Pentecost. The Pentecost fiery tongues become the flame of the world fire, not consuming, but transmuting the world. I love everything about that quote, but especially that last part. What if the flame of God is the flame that does not consume, but transmutes? In other words, it transforms, transforms. Gracious 
all, all, the, all the ways that I dread God's fire, all the ways that I want to stay away from any place where the temperature is hot, when I ought to know by now that this is the only way I get transformed. Not only is this the only way that God will be able to change the things that otherwise would harm me into something that might bless me, it's the only way he's going to be able to change me. <laughs> Nothing less than the fire of God will transform me. Nothing less than the fire of God's love, which involves all kinds of intensity and involves certainly a great deal of pain. And yet, there's no getting away from the fact that this is a supremely hopeful image when we think about it in these terms. That if even the fire of God comes not just to singe us, not to burn, not to harm us, but to transform us and to transform the world around us. Oh, I, I could do this all day, but I, do wanna, I really want to land that in such a, just a specific and simple place. I'm just wondering, knowing that, I, I don't know, I thought there's something about Christmas in particular where, you know, God is arriving, Jesus is arriving, that's a celebration, but there's also this weird, it's right at the end of the year, and we're thinking about what the next year is going to be, and the next phase, and that kind of in-between season. And I'm just wondering if, in whatever sort of in-between angst you're feeling right now, and whatever things that are being stirred up, and whatever things that are hard, what if somehow in the midst of all that, the fire of God is coming, to transform and to change. Not to torment, not to harm, but to make things right. This is, what, this is what the process of transformation looks like. This is what it feels like. It's hot, it's intense, and yet God is always bringing beautiful things out of that fire. Things that go into the fire, ugly and distorted, come out beautiful, come out reshaped, come out reformed, turn into something else. I, I think I... I think I really just want to say, because my sense of this is that even when we know that the fire of God comes to transform in ways that we need, there's still so much resistance, there's still so much holding that at bay, there's still so much, this is not happening to me, let's just pretend this isn't going on. And I think part of what Christmas hopefully gives us the, uh, the courage to do, the invitation in this moment, is in whatever ways that the fire of God is coming to transform, that we have the opportunity, instead of resisting it, to say yes, to say yes to that, to welcome that. What if instead of trying to pretend that things aren't on fire, that the question becomes, God, what, what purposes do you have for me in this fire? How, how is the heat of your love at work in this in a way to transform me? Instead of resisting it, what would it look like to say yes what Christmas is all about always is saying yes, always saying yes to the invitation of God. Here Jesus is once again knocking at our door and just to be able to say yes, Lord, yes to the slow, painful work of transformation. Yes to the fire, which what it calls for is an act of radical trust, to believe that that consuming fire of God is not going to, like the burning bush, is not going to consume us, but is going to transform us. Let me set you on fire. It'll be fine. No, I don't think that's the way fire works. Now, the Lord has this way of saying to us, well, no, no, it's how my fire works. This is how my fire works. Will you let me do this? Will you let me set some things aflame? Will you let me burn in you? Will you let me burn? The fact, of course, when the consuming fire of God comes, there are some things that, I don't know, that it kind of... Um, that seems to be banished, things that change that we don't want to, but that's the thing that's so powerful, I think, about the fire of God in that way is that 
you know, what is supposed to remain on the other side of that fire will remain, right? What's supposed to stick around will stick around. But it's always for our good. It's funny because I, I thought of this as actually being a really encouraging message, and I'm just not sure if it's quite as encouraging as I intended to be in this moment. But it is supposed to be, I promise. And I want to... Um, Goodness, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk in circles all day. I just, to land the plane a bit, I'd love for us to take a few moments just before we come to the table to reflect on where and how maybe the fire of God is, is coming. Um, once again, I think Christmas is so often about the way that God moves in unexpected ways. So how is it even through the unexpected things that God's fire is showing up? And really what this means, the fact that there's so much fire is actually a sign to us that the Son is being born in us anew. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God is here. So instead of him being against us, instead of meaning somehow that we're on the wrong path, the fire often means Christ is on his way now. That this is part of making way. This is part of making preparation for the King. So the King of glory shall come in. I keep thinking about that verse from the Psalms somehow these last couple days. The, the, the whole, that whole imagery of the gates. Who is this king of glory? This idea of just opening our gates wide and saying yes to the king, yes to his fire, whatever that means, wherever that takes us. Stand with me, if you would. I don't know why I can't just do a sweet little Christmas sermon. I was kind of trying. Just for a moment, I just would invite you to, uh, to close your eyes. I just want you to uh, take a moment first just to really hear these words. That in whatever ways that the fire of God is coming into your life right now, which at first can seem like wildfire, I want you to hear the voice of the comforter and know that God's fire, in whatever way it's appearing to you here right now, is not to harm you, but to transform. This is the, tran the hot, transforming love of God is at work. And instead of freaking out about it, know that the king is arriving in new ways in your life. Know that this is... This is part of the entrance. This is part of the way that we make way for him, is that we invite that fire to come. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that whenever we say yes to you, we never know exactly what we're saying yes to, in an act of trust this morning, we do say yes. We say yes, King Jesus. We say yes to your rule and to your reign. We say yes to your fire that comes to transform us and ultimately to transform the world around us. And I want to pray specifically. I know the day is coming when the king will establish his peace and there will be an endless reign of peace. But right now for my brothers and sisters who don't have any peace at all circumstantially, God, I pray even now that they would begin to see ways that you want to, by your fire, to take the things even that were intended to harm them transform them into something gentle. You want to change the swords into plowshares. You will take the things that otherwise seemingly would have taken us out and you will make them fuel for your fire. 
fire that instead of tormenting us can even become the fire that comforts us and keeps us warm. Spirit, I pray for that right now. I pray even now for evidence of ways that that transformation is starting. In the meantime, Lord, whatever this looks like for us, even the days ahead in the midst of this Christmas season, give us the wisdom to be people of that kind of grace and truth who are able, you have planted us in the world as your church, as the people who are able to take the instruments of pain and to turn them into instruments of blessing. Give us the grace to do that. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to know how to be agents of your peace. Let your fire burn in us. Let your fire transform us. Consuming fire, King Jesus, we welcome you this day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.